BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. My name is Chris Lambert. And my name is Travis Bean. And on today's episode, we gush over Celine Sand's debut film, Past Lives. We discuss her atmospheric approach to a story about diverging paths and how she captures that inescapable desire to romanticize what could have been. Letting go of that feeling isn't easy, but necessary for realizing our best selves. Basically, get ready for some existential reflection in this episode. Travis, I'm so excited about this one. I Yeah, uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for two reasons. One, I know you really love this movie. Yes. And regardless of how I feel about a movie, I like when you are passionate about something. I can hear you talk about it. <laughs> and B, the second reason I'm excited is, and I think it's just become a trend in this show, that you have no idea how I feel about a movie because <laughs> I refuse to talk about it beforehand. And I think you're slightly terrified. I never know what to expect because when I think I know your tastes, I don't. Exactly. <laughs> I like I like to change it up. I know there's always some curveball, except Vanilla Sky. I knew watching Vanilla Sky that you would be <laughs> going crazy over it. But with ones like this, I can't tell if it's going to be something that is an arrow to your heart or hmm. uh, like sets you off on a just disgruntled tirade. Hmm. Well, uh, let's ease into this a little bit first. Let's let's lay the foundation. Let's set the table and all that jazz, uh, Chris. What was your experience with this movie? How did you first hear about it? And when did you first see it? And how did you first feel about it? <laughs> so I first heard about it walking through the Alamo Draft House. They have a hallway that tends to have uh, at least a portion of the wall covered in like a singular poster, but repeated mm-hmm. like 46 times on the wall. Uh, and Past Lives was the one that they were pushing. And I can't remember if i heard something about it at sundance before that but i was seeing the poster and remember hearing a little bit of talk around that time of past lives like a great movie it's a great movie and of course the draft house had the trailer going uh and i you know i wasn't that excited at first because i was chalking it up to a typical Mm -hmm. kind of love triangle movie and just from the poster, from the trailer, I thought it was going to be maybe a little more one-dimensional than what it ended up being. And I almost, because of that, missed it while it was doing its limited uh, theatrical run. Mm-hmm. So I th- think it took me maybe like three weeks or a month after it came out at the Draft House to finally just be like, you know wow. what, I'll go see it. And then I spent, you know, an hour and a half crying and (laughs) feeling the existential gut punch of what I think is an instant masterpiece, uh, which is amazing to say for a a first film. And I just told everybody for the next month to go see the movie. And some people, I got like a few people to go and see it and they all came back like, oh my goodness, what an experience. So it's been nice recently uh, since it just came out on video on demand that more people have been seeing it and uh, the hype for it has been growing. Mm. I'm so excited for when it actually hits streaming services rather than being, you know, $20 to buy right now. (laughs) Uh, Just because I think it's this is going to be such a a beloved film for a long time. Yeah. I think a big part of that is, well, I'm curious the the people you told to watch this movie, is there a general age, age range for these people? Um, early thirties, late thirties. Yeah. Thirties. 
that yeah <laughs> i think the if you're in your 30s like at least the intent of this movie and the the themes and all that like they're gonna hit <laughs> right i mean especially given the fact that celine song this is such a uh autobiographical movie yeah. like she grew up in seoul she moved to toronto went to school in new york city um like everything that happened in the movie pretty much happened to her yeah right <laughs> uh but that means she's the same age as us right so when she's like in college and on skype we were in college at that time and like using Skype in that way and the sound effects of it, the, the look of it, just there's so much of it that kind of resonates with, you know, I did go to college in New York, but still there's something about it all that feels very familiar and of the age Yeah, uh, that made this movie like hit. I'm a year older than her. Oh, wow. She's so born in 88. That makes her um 35 yeah oh she's uh she's my age <laughs> so yeah i mean that that all checks out i mean i so when i first saw the trailer it wasn't even that i had a negative reaction to it but i i i will admit i have some trepidation about like a a24 um and I, look i think they're great and they they help a, a lot of great filmmakers make movies and they at least make like different kind of movies than what we're typically used to from just like mainstream blockbusters or like bigger independent movies. But I, <laughs> I don't like a lot of their movies too. So like sometimes when I see an A24 trailer and I'm like, eh, there's like a 50, 50 chance I hate this. Um, and on top of that, it, it felt very just, it wasn't even like the love triangle aspect of it for me. It just felt very familiar in that kind of independent way. Like I'd seen this movie like 15,000 times at film festivals we've been to, you know? Yeah. Um, it kind of just had that general, I mean, it's hard to, to really get it from a trailer, but the general mood and feel of it. Um, but, and I, and I honestly, I don't know if I really had very much intention to watch it period, uh, until we decided to cover it on the show. Um, but I, I was getting a little ramped up and ready to watch it because I knew you really liked it. And I think at first when I started watching it, I was a little like, mm, like this is this is going through all the motions like I expect. Like it kind of has a moonlight feel, you know, where it's mm. going in like three different like segments of someone's life. And I had this feeling of like, I've seen this before. Like this isn't doing anything like that new or interesting like you're just we're just watching like two little kids um but pretty quickly i was pulled into it and i i feel like like i said like the trailer doesn't properly it doesn't properly capture the mood and feel of something like it's hard to to cut together like what plays out over the course of two hours and i felt very pulled into the energy and outlook of this movie and uh, I, I think that's pretty rare these days for me to be like this entranced by something that doesn't have like a big blown up plot like it's it's yes. one of those it's one of those movies that i when i think about like my favorite movies like this is in line with a lot of those where it just kind of steeps in something and exists in a feeling which that that's a very ambitious thing to do when making a movie like that's not easy to pull off and it's not easy to like make someone just feel like they're sitting there with people for two hours but that was this movie and yeah i i, I cried several times like my wife i think my wife cried harder than i did um, <laughs> i think it really hit her it it has that's why i asked about the age because like to me this movie speaks exactly to where i am in my life because it's easy to choose direction when you're younger. Mm -hmm. um, it's to feel confident in your decisions, to believe you're choosing the best path for yourself. But at some point, like you realize those days are gone <laughs> and that like, you can't really like keep changing paths constantly once you're 35. I mean, look, I still have a lot of life left, life left but it, I guess what I mean is, the feeling starts to weigh a little heavier 
that you start feeling like there is less time to um, change the course of your life or you feel more aware of your past decisions and where they've led you. Um, it's just, it's just a very, it's just a very intense feeling that, um, kind of steeps and sets over the course of time and becomes heavier and heavier, just like inherently, like you just feel it from day to day. It isn't like something that just hits you one day. Some days it does. Some days you're a mess and you're crying because you think about all the decisions you've made. But in general, like that heavy feeling that weighs on you that's not an easy feeling to capture. And I think this movie really does it. Yeah. That's like the thing that hit me was when you finally realize that the relationship dynamic is just the vehicle for the deeper conversation about mm. the existential like weights yeah. of the decisions that we've made throughout our life. And having to accept those decisions and what it means to reach a point where you do have to say like, this is who I am. This is the path that I've chosen rather than spiraling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so strongly. And, you know, realistically people do spiral and realistically you can still make big changes and shifts, but I feel like this movie is getting almost at like, an ideal way of thinking where you don't have to second guess the things that are good. And even though there are costs that come along a way that could have been equally as good or maybe even better, you have to be happy with the fact that you're like happy. Mm, totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Sorry. Keep going. This is doing the same thing as La La Land, right? But better. <laughs> the same thing, except that it's done well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's missing the whole Hollywood aspect of Hollywood crushes you. And this right. is the cost of Hollywood. But the path that Nora and Sung go on is very similar to the path, path that... Uh, what are their character names? In? Gosh, we just watched it and I don't remember. I know. Uh, Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling go on in that film where ultimately you, they had a fork in the road. Their lives took them in a direction that was apart and they have to really reconcile with the fact that they're where they want to be, but they don't have each other right? and what that means. But it's the movie doesn't actually give you the weight of that and exploration yeah, right. of that, it just sets up like there's a feeling there. Yeah. Past lives is that feeling set up, explored, and reckoned with. Right. Totally. And it's amazing. Yeah, gosh. Just more chances for Travis to show and Damien Chazelle. <laughs> but like, you're so right. Like, I kind of... This movie made me realize this. Uh, and it is part of me that I, I really, really hate. Gosh, I, I hate to be that. I don't want to be that strong in my language, but the the, the um, instinct to romanticize something you could have been um, like something like in this movie, like a relationship you could have been in uh, romanticizing that to the extent that like all you do is think about what that would have been and who you could have been and how great it could have been. Um, that's like, <laughs> that's no way to live, you know, like that is a, <laughs> yeah, that, that is a recipe for disaster. And if you, the longer you're like that, the more you're not living your life, the more you're not recognizing, as you said, like all the goodness in your life and all the great things around you and what you've built, like you're not giving yourself enough credit. If you think like that, like you've done amazing things, you've achieved incredible heights. If you've achieved happiness with someone um even if things are sometimes not great even if you're in a low place like thinking about something you've built with somebody like that's difficult to do but it's necessary to do and something like la la land like it feels cheap in that way that it just like toys with the idea of like what if instead of steeping in like what is and what we've become and what place we're in like what kind of way is that to end a movie um 
which makes the ending of past lives so incredible because you kind of recognize her at the end of the movie tempting that feeling like she's standing there with Hayson and she's almost it almost seems like she's hoping he'll kiss her and Hayson has to be the one who like sees her he sees who she is he recognizes that she is someone who leaves that had to go that had to discover who she was and she made all of the necessary decisions she needed in her life to become who she is this very strong woman um and to take that away from her would be irresponsible would be a cheap way to end this movie and instead it's a very real ending that recognizes the way people are and the places they need to go and the tough decisions they need to make and one of those tough decisions is like not looking back like just recognizing what you've done and moving forward and like making it better and better and better yeah the oh man did you uh did i we did talk about it i don't know if you read the article but the uh the article like the guide on the oh, site oh yeah yeah i perused it <laughs> There's that detail at the end when Nora and Haesung uh, leave Nora's apartment and they're walking to Haesung's Uber. Mm-hmm. And Greta, or Celine Song talks specifically about the fact that she had them walking from the right side of the screen to the left side of the screen right. in that profile shot because it represented a timeline and how time always moves uh, left to right in forward progression. So going from right to left means heading into the past. So that walk that they go on symbolizes them essentially walking into the past, walking towards what they could have been mm. and having that moment of the final uh, in young past lives conversation. And the, he then pivots to maybe in the next life and gets in the taxi and that makes her walk back, which having the walk back is so good. It's those little choices like that, that I love so much because there's so much emotion in that moment where if you were just to cut from her, from Hayson getting in the taxi to then her arriving back at the porch, you don't get that stoop. I guess you don't get that moments of emotion that wells up and over her and the weight of her then walking from the left back to the right from the past back to her present and into her future with arthur it's little choices like that that demonstrate the nuance and depth that this film has that just make it so dynamic and fascinating and like that reunion with Arthur at that point and having that little bit of a gap where she's independent between both of them and then yeah. runs back to who she is with him. It's just beautiful. That's a that's a fantastic detail. I, I was reading the interview she did with um, Filmmaker Magazine and uh, she was referencing, I mean, she's a playwright, so she's done a lot of plays and this is her first movie, but she's a cinephile and knows seen a lot of movies and that does seem like a typical i know hitchcock did that a lot he played a lot with right and left so that's awesome to see somebody utilizing that Uh, i mean i didn't it's done great in that scene because i don't actively recognize it while i'm watching it but as you say everything you just said and i think back to it and i'm like i feel like i did recognize it you know like (laughs) just subconsciously almost um and i that whole Everything you just described, I think, plays perfectly into that idea of Inyun and how it's discussed in the movie. Like, it's given a very mythological feel when they discuss it. Like, it's they're talking about literal past lives and people you used to know. But I love how it plays out in this movie because it basically just becomes a metaphor for, like, this one and only life you live. Um, Inyun is, like it's you looking back and thinking about like this life you could have had with somebody. And, and I'm sure everybody's done this where you think about like this one decision you could have made and like the completely different life you would have led because of it. Like yeah. you, you completely different, like everything in your life, like nothing's the same. You're in a different city. You're with a different person. You have a different job. And because of all those things, like you have a completely different outlook on life. 
you have a different political leaning. <laughs> you like different kinds of movies, like it, it, all these different lives you could lead. It's all based on the people you meet and decisions you make when you come across those people and the kind of energy you share with those people. Uh, you know, something like uh, Nora deciding to stop talking to Heysun over Skype. Uh, something as simple as that completely changed her life. Like, think of who she would have been at that writer's retreat if she was still talking to Heysun. She would have not gotten with Arthur, and that would have never led to that discussion in the bed where Arthur's expressing, like, all these things he doesn't know about or wish he knew. Like, it, it's... Yeah, I, I just... That whole idea of Inyan and then thinking about that last scene... It's like she's walking through that, the end of her life and like what she could have been and walking back to what is. It's it's just such a heavy, I keep saying heavy, but it is. It's it's heavy in that way that like it, it, it forces this character to like come back to where she is and be like, no, this is it. Like this is what you have and like you have to make the best of it right now. Yeah. I love to the little bit of, we had recently had the podcast episode on chunking express and there was something kind of familiar in the early portions of that movie, how they keep showing people kind of bumping into each other and the spark and connection that's kind of there. So having, uh, in young and them mentioning, you know, just if you bump into a stranger on the street, that's a sign that Inyun exists and how they joke about how Nora might've been, a bird in Sung the branch <laughs> in a past life. Just something as simple as that being the foundation for the connection that builds up between two people. Um, it just struck me as like Chunking Express is already one of the most brilliant movies about romance. And I feel like past lives immediately jumps into that category as well, but has the, extra layer of not being about romance at all right in so many ways uh yeah but yet right oh, go ahead no I, I was just gonna agree with you that it's kind of not really a romantic movie <laughs> like even thinking about Hasan and his you know he clearly wants to be with nora and he's come here to make it work but the whole time he's there like his journey in that moment is recognizing like who she is and why she needs to be where she is and how he can't fuck that up. And that yep. he has to go then make the best of like who he is and like what he has been building. Like it's just a movie about living, really. Yeah. I I love to when he says it's a semi-devastating line. Like a little bit of I guess his one moment of revenge in quotes where he tells her that she's someone who leaves yeah because to arthur she's someone who stays and that dynamic and how who we are to different people and how we behave in different situations uh, gets at the i guess how multifaceted people are the simple example is just you know you're a different person with your best friend than you are with your parents than you are with your co-workers than you are with your significant other Uh, we have these different aspects of our personality that come out in each of those situations but this movie takes it to another level in terms of applying that idea to a much more long-term state of being of who Nora would have been with Sung or just who she was in her interactions with Sung, someone who leaves. Yeah. And what would it have meant if she had been with him? Would there have always been this flightiness and distance? And is the fact that she had that dynamic with Sung exactly what made her so consistent for Arthur? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. That I mean, you are right that when he says you are somebody who leaves, that she was that way with Heysan, but not with Arthur. That is technically true because obviously she's still with Arthur. But I think it does, that statement generally speaks to her personality and how she's someone, she's very strong. She's very independent. 
and she felt tied down by Sun by Korea, which is why she moves forward as a child and moves forward uh, in her 20s with Sun. Like she feels the need to distance herself from these things in order to become who she wants to be. Um, so that informs her personality. And so, but with Arthur, she's there, she's with him. But I do think that statement and that general um, picture of her explains why Arthur is I don't know if he's crying, but he's very emotional in bed with her and yeah. essentially describing like, I feel like I don't know you sometimes. And sometimes I feel like I don't even know if you love me. Like there's something about her that I don't even know if it's necessarily like there's always one foot out the door and like maybe she could leave Arthur if she wanted to pursue something else. But I think it's more that she was, she felt the need to project this image of strength for so long and to be independent for so long that she maybe doesn't know how to be with someone like completely. And at the end of the movie, she finally has that, that recognizing like this moment where Hayson's not going to be with her. He's not going to kiss her and like ruin everything she has of Arthur and force her to walk back to the right, to the life she lives and be with them. And that's the moment she starts crying and she's so vulnerable in a way that we probably haven't seen her the entire movie. Yeah, it's almost like because she didn't have that closure with Sung, there's always something in the back of her mind about, well, maybe. And that, well, right. maybe causes her to not necessarily, even though she's living with Arthur, married to Arthur, been with him for 12 years, and it seems has given no sign of ever wanting to leave or anything else, but there's just that vibe of well you know yeah could it happen <laughs> like could there still be something with Sung that's always just been a little bit of a a splinter mm -hmm. in the relationships and whether or not either of them were aware of it and it's something that with Sung coming to visit becomes a lot more explicit and allows them to really express these things and grow as a couple. Like they go through something together and support one another and their vulnerabilities and learn something more about their relationship. It's making me tear up thinking about, <laughs> about it. I don't know if, I guess you've been with Lauren for such a long time. I, I have had that, uh, example of where I was like dating people in college or had been talking to somebody and like there were times you know you talk with somebody and like you're flirting a little bit but they're in a relationship mm -hmm. but you don't know that person so you're kind of like well I'm not gonna do anything but you know we're flirting and then you meet the person and you're just like oh okay they're awesome like I'm, I'm going to change the entire dynamic here. Like, still going to be friends, but like I have a whole different view of this. Uh, that happened a couple times in college, and then even you know there were a couple times where I was talking to somebody, and there wasn't anything like committed going on, but they were talking to multiple people mm -hmm. and I was the one picked and then I'd meet the guy and just be like, Oh, he's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> mm. This is great. Like yeah. there've been a, f a few like friends or just moments throughout my life where I I've kind of experienced this in a far less intense way, um, which made what was portrayed on screen. It like, jive with what i had experienced and made the line where hey sung's like yeah you know you're great uh hit pretty hard <laughs> yeah yeah that's uh i mean the, I, there's um the interview with that celine son did with filmmaker magazine she had a really great moment where she was talking about the opening scene and how they're sitting in the bar and you know you hear the people like talking about them and oh yeah uh, just wondering like who each of them are to each other. And she turns and looks at them 
and that she's Celine Sans is like that actually happened like she actually made eye contact with somebody and then had this very overwhelming feeling that they were talking about her and wondering about her uh which is a very strange thing to have happen <laughs> I imagine like I don't know if I've ever had that happen to me but that is a, a as you reach the age of 35 and you know and that kind of thing happens at a moment in your life where you are wondering, you know, you're sitting between your childhood sweetheart and the man you're with, and you are thinking about like who you could have been. And this person is over here thinking about who is this person. <laughs> um, she has this line. I think the movie is about that sort of ineffable relationship or connection. We have sometimes with someone that doesn't have a label. And I think if there is this pressure to put a label on something to make something concrete um, to give it a brand, to recognize it, to say, like, this is that. Uh, but life's not like that. <laughs> like, everything is fluid. Like, things are complicated. Um, like, it obviously, it could be something as simple as, like, this is my wife, and, like, I love her, and I'm with her. But the all of the little tangential threads that come from that relationship that stretch to all of these other relationships and situations from your life. And then adding on top of that, like all of the ways your life could have gone and all of these like ghost threads. <laughs> it's uh, I just thought that was really interesting way to approach a movie and a great way to start a movie that your task, basically her task of the movie is to define who this person is that you're looking at. Uh, which is an impossible thing to do. And I think that's part of the reason why the movie really hits, why the ending is so emotional uh, for both the character, um, but the director as well, and anybody watching the movie who connects with this stuff, is that like that feeling that overwhelms you, that makes you cry when you, when you, you have this moment of rec reckoning with who you actually are and being in the moment of who you are, that's really tough, and like, you can't put a label on it. And that's, I think, really hard for a hard pill to swallow for people yeah it very much can be <laughs> it's heavy i mean i don't know if she mentioned it in the filmmaker magazine interview i know in the press materials mm. uh, that were on the a24 site they uh, she had mentioned that that was actually for her the genesis of the movie was that moment right. in particular and realizing in that moment, oh, there's a movie here. Like, I need to explore this. <laughs> and that's going to be the very beginning of the movie. Yeah. And, and in the magazine, she talked about um, how she's a playwright by nature and is used to exploring these kinds of stories just through the written word and on stage. But that looking through this kind of story just required a different medium. A, because they're going between different ages and settings and all that. It's just easier to do with a movie. But beyond that, like capturing again, capturing that feeling, like that feels like an impossible task <laughs> to, to construct an aesthetic, a mood and feel that just captures not knowing like the direction of your life or wondering about what the direction of life could have been. And then having to deal with like where it's at. Um, I think that's just one thing that makes this movie shine and makes it stand out from a lot of the movies I was comparing it to before watching it, you know, just like thinking like, oh, it's a typical festival independent kind of movie. It's, it has a very ethereal feel, you know, it, it, it constantly feels like that opening scene that we are standing on the outside of something and we are intimately involved with this person's life that we don't know. It's, um, it's just a very odd and interesting mood to construct yeah i love to i mean coming full circle is such a a basic technique <laughs> that it can often feel kind of cliche uh, especially to me at this point i i become pretty <laughs> yeah pretty weary and wary of it just because you kind of know where the movie's going to come back to, um, which takes out some of the excitement to me when it's not done well. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I'm thinking of like multiple movies just this year that have <laughs> yeah. done it. Uh, but uh, there is something unique in how it's used in past live just for the fact that it does have that external perspective to the characters where you feel like you're on the outside of it all looking at them. And then over the course of the movie, you're on the inside, which creates a whole movement to the viewer perspective. Right. Where you're not just at a distance because you're new to the movie and don't know what's going on. It legitimately places you at a distance formally through having the camera in the perspective of the people looking at the three of them. And then by the time you finally get to that scene, you're weaving in and out between the characters from the camera being close to them and being part of the dialogue that you couldn't hear before. It's just the little use of the the formal reinforcements of it that takes what is a basic kind of cliche thing to do at this point. Because it's effective, it does give the movie a sense of beginning and end mm. that lets audiences feel like they've completed something so it's yeah. a safety valve in a lot of ways but it manages to explore this or use that technique in a way that feels a lot more fresh and powerful to me and earned in a way yeah so i liked that yeah everything you just said it does make me um, it makes me think about a lot of moments in the movie where, I mean, especially the moments where Nora and Heysun meet back up after 12 years and any moment they share in public, <laughs> like yeah. there is this perspective we have of like looking at these two people and in the beginning, we see them from, from the perspective of people who truly don't know them. And you can't help but like have that feeling throughout the movie. Like at this point we do know them but they are out in public with a lot of other people and people are looking at them this way. It does completely shift the dynamic and there's a bit of a tension in the, uh, in their relationship in that way. Like I, I was thinking about it when um, they went to uh, just like a pier, you know, like they're looking out over yeah. the water and I, I think this is very purposely done all around them are couples, like yeah. people being very intimate <laughs> And you could look at any of these couples and do the exact same thing you did at the beginning of this movie. And anybody standing near this area, like, or any of those couples could look over at Nora and Heysan and be wondering about them. And you're right. Like that whole energy that exists throughout the movie to have it then come in at the end, like think about the end. And if you were standing across the street and you saw Nora walk up to Arthur and just start crying, it could be a million reasons for that. And the fact that we have now got to sit through this journey with her and understand how she's gotten to this point, like it just, it makes it so much heavier. It really, really does, man, man. And it's funny how, uh, I'm just thinking how good of a job they do with the, the portioning of the film, because it's surprising going back to it and, because when you see it in theaters, you don't have timestamps, right? Right. But watching it video on demand, to be able to see that Nora and Sung reconnect at like the 53 minute mark mm -hmm. and the credits don't roll until like a minute 39 or an hour 39. Mm -hmm. So you really have like a 40 minutes of the film, like more than half or not more than half, but like nearly half of the movie being their adult period. But those opening chapters as kids, Skype, yeah. <laughs> uh, meeting Arthur and like the relationship with Arthur, it feels like such a long journey through all of that that I'm really glad this is the math portion of the... I love it. Brought to you by math. The episode. <laughs> I'm really glad that the film took the time to not only develop each of those sections, but to really let us feel the weight of what it meant as adults to have this and not just be like we saw in La La Land, like kind of this 10 minute thing 
that's very brief and goes full circle in very simple cheesy ways so sorry damien giselle um yeah i he did such a cool thing today too it's the start of the venice film festival and he's coming out with like the wga uh pin on and talking about how it's day 121 of the writer's strike like good on him i'm going to continue to support damien chazelle it's just i will critique (laughs) the things that i don't like (laughs) hey you liked babylon um yeah i didn't i fucking hated it anyway (laughs) (laughs) um god i don't even remember where we were at before we started talking about damien chazelle just the movie taking the time in each of those sections and I, i mean most of that was just how powerful of an impact Arthur made on the film Hmm. in a very brief amount of time. I wasn't sure if the movie was going to accomplish, like they set up the dynamic between Nora and Haesung so well Hmm. that there's part of me when I was watching it, just being like, how could they ever make the other guy compelling? (laughs) she talked about that in the interview actually um because she talks about the whole pro just becoming a director i mean obviously she had a lot of experience with writing characters and dealing with actors on the stage but there's something different about a movie like and she talked about it if the character for arthur comes in and say it's like this really popular actor who has like a strong presence you know like you're gonna fucking hate this guy you're not going to be rooting for Nora and this guy to get together. Like he's going to have like an energy about him that is overwhelming. It that is like trying to overpower what Nora and Hayson had, but like um, John Magaro, that's not really the case with him. He has a very like simple, like everyday feel about him. Um, and I don't even, I don't mean that at all. It's like, it's not like he's somebody who can't act like it feels very purposely done like his um his almost detachment in a way which i think plays perfectly into his character when he's in bed and describing like he wishes he knew her better like there that is that energy about him that he's somebody who is just kind of he's there he's a good guy he 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 is probably better for Nora <laughs> than like she would ever have dreamed and then, or that Hayson would have ever realized. Like there, there's just something about his character that brings such um, quietness and clarity to Nora's life. Um, that's in casting someone like that is, you know, that's, that's not an easy thing to do. And I, it's, and she took a lot of time and care to find the right person for it. Yeah. I had never seen him in anything i don't think no I don't or think if so. i did i didn't recognize him and there was just something like he embodied the character so yeah. well and brought that a different presence than Sung. yes but something that's very calming very supportive very i don't know familiar to where you could just feel the way in which she felt loved and supported and uh, i don't know there was something just very charming about their dynamic and different than yes. what she had with Sung. like it didn't have the same magnetism but it didn't need to yes it, it's a it, his approach to the character is completely necessary for the movie because like you know tail you he 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 has this ability to switch between like boyish charm like that little smile he has to like stone-faced hardline masculinity like like in that scene where she where uh Nora just keeps going like he's so korean <laughs> like everything <laughs> she describes about him like he's both like this person who wants to open up and be with her but like he can't escape who he is and who he's been bred to be um and then you have Greta Lee who she has this incredible ability to waver between like self-reliant like super strong and super vulnerable and someone who needs help finding direction like john mcgarrow really needs to be everything you said is perfect like the energy he brings is a perfect perfect tangentially to like what they're each bringing to the movie and somebody who kind of like he kind of grounds everything he's somebody who brings nora back to reality and makes them realize like the situation she's in and 
at what needs to be done to preserve who she is and what she's built. Yeah. Yeah. I, you mentioning, uh, the performance vibes, it just made me, I was so blown away by Teo Yu and Greta Lee and how much they felt like 20 somethings. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) During the college section. They really did. Yeah. Just, I mean, from the body language to the enthusiasm and the, the difference in just their whole being that's so <laughs> from true. one to the other it does was... make me think about like when you have like that kind of flirtatious relationship with someone in your 20s and like you meet up with them once in a while and there's kind of this fleeting happiness and like nothing can go wrong kind of feeling you know yeah and then when they're adults and they meet up just the oh, everything what shit. <laughs> yeah what masterful masterful performances to be able to capture each of those periods so brilliantly but not have them feel over the top it oh, yeah. feels such like natural aging yeah, this from movie one feels to the very next. lived in in that way yeah like when you've talked you've talked on previous episodes about wanting to steep in a feeling steep with mm-hmm. characters to like be in a, a vibe and atmosphere with them this movie definitely oh yeah <laughs> definitely captures that i think that's why it really hit me um the moment that made me cry hardest i don't know if this happened to you but it's when heisan and nora first meet up um not as kids but as 34 35 year olds and they just stand there for a while and look at each other and heisan just keeps saying like i don't know what to do (laughs) (laughs) like that was such like that had to be from sailing son's life like that had to have happened like like that seems like an insane thing to say to me, but it, I also like completely recognize that feeling. And just like, as that was happening, he said it like three times. He's like, I don't know what to say or like do with myself. <laughs> and there was like no conversation happening. And they have to like hug twice to like, they have to hug a second time to be like, look, like we're here, we're together. Like, let's just, this is it. I don't know that, that really got to me. It was a great, so much had built up to that point like so much that it's very cathartic when that happens and then very human, right? Yes. As you're saying, in, in the reaction rather than stylized or idealized. Man, um, it just, it's just those moments between characters, like every conversation they have and even that small conversation Hey-Son and and uh, Arthur have at the bar when, when Nora's gone, like so lived in, like you're just... To be so present, uh, the 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 DP, the cinematographer for this movie, Shabir, gosh, I should have learned how to say his name, Shabir uh, Kirshner, he said, some cinematographers believe, and I share this opinion, that the less a viewer is conscious of the camera when watching the film, the better, so they aren't pulled out of whatever story or environment they're in. And that's so true. And that's, again, an incredibly difficult thing to pull off. Like, that can only happen as a result of, like, lots of conversations and uh defining what the filmic language of your movie is and like they they clearly did it for this yeah which i mean that might be one of the reasons why you tend to not like long shots so much is because it makes you so much more aware of the camera wow you're right thank you for psychoanalyzing me (laughs) where that's the reason why i hate cuts because (laughs) that is what makes me hmm. aware of the camera and the artificiality of everything. That's true. It's uh, yeah, I guess it's, it's kind of a song and dance there. My, my whole thing about the, the lawn takes is that my, my example in Babylon was like, as you're moving through the crowd, it feels like Damien Chazelle like points at somebody. He's like, this is the moment you jump on the elephant's back. Like it all feels so timed in a way that I'm like, I don't buy it. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't feel natural. Um, as opposed to like the quick cuts, I guess you're right about that in a sense, but uh, maybe I'm more when I see like a welly, oh, a welly, <laughs> a well executed <laughs> um, compilation of cuts. Like maybe I'm just more impressed by like the artistry of that, and that someone's able to build like this moving, this compilation of images that evoke a specific feeling or push a certain idea. I don't know. There's something about that that it, I guess just speaks to me. 
<laughs> I remember the first time that it ever pissed me off was in late high school, I think. I had watched one of the Pierce Brosnan Bond movies. Uh, another it, day. It's either, what is it? World's Not Enough and Die Another Day were the ones. Uh, those were the last two. Is that, or is World Not Enough the, I, I think that is the third one that Brosnan did. Which one has the boat chase? Uh, that like a is speed boat. Is that Die Another Day? I don't think it's Die Another Day, is it? Eh. Because I feel like Die Another Day had the sword fight. And <laughs> the that was the one with, where they were like in Antarctica, right? Is that it? I think so. Maybe Tomorrow Never Dies was the one we're with just the... sitting here. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of them. Uh, I should just do boat. Boat chase. Oh, it's the world is not enough. Yeah. Okay. There's uh, the boat chase. I remember sitting there going like, you have two people on speedboats and every shot is just of their face. It's just medium close up after medium close up after medium close up. I'm not getting any sense of yeah. action, perspective, scope. And when it did maybe cut to something wider it immediately cut to something else and i was just so angry <laughs> yeah at the editing of that sequence which is why i loved uh casino royale so much because i had that in mind and then casino royale it's not like that movie has a bajillion long takes but it's just the average length of each shot is much higher than what you get in your typical Hollywood action movie. Well, I will say, Chris, that Martin Campbell directed uh, Casino Royale, and that's the guy who directed GoldenEye, which is fucking awesome. I've never seen GoldenEye. Oh, my God. Wow. GoldenEye, and, I mean, um, Tomorrow Never Dies is pretty good, but GoldenEye's the best. I remember liking die another day decently enough but <laughs> die another day sucks just because there was a sword fight <laughs> that was and the madonna song well i guess if that's the height of movies for you then yeah that was a pretty yeah. awesome movie sigmund freud i love that she just throws madonna in the middle of the the song for die another day just throws in sigmund freud Man, Madonna had a better song for the Austin Power movies than she did for Die Another Day. That's a shame. Okay, I'll have to watch GoldenEye. I'll have to watch oh, all of Oh, man, yeah. Gotta watch GoldenEye. I've never seen Edge of Darkness. I saw Green Lantern. <laughs> uh, Foreigner did it watch. Protégé, Memory. No. Legend of Zorro. You directed Green Lantern? Yeah. Oh, I've never seen that, actually. That that feels like a Travis movie waiting to happen. <laughs> that feels like that is a Travis movie waiting to happen. <laughs> anyway, um, wow. So the shots in in this were nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, roundabout way of saying that. But the shot that jumped out to me the most, my favorite like moment in this movie, uh, was during the college years. The camera keeps returning to the curtain slash window in Nora's room and there's something just very evanescent mm. ethereal uh, as you like to say about the shot and I loved how when she tells hey Sung that she can't talk with him anymore mm -hmm. it goes back to the window and you see the sun kind of setting and darkening and the window darkens. Yeah. And it's just this small moment, unnecessary, you know, to the story. I think a lot of Hollywood productions would probably say you should cut that for time. But it's one of those things that as a A24 film, as an art film, independent film, you can kind of get away with having just the few extra seconds. Right. And that to me was... <laughs> Honestly, one of the things I think about the most from this movie and that I think about all the time, like that was so nice because the next day, the shot that we get is of the window and sunrise. 
Yeah. And that's when she goes off and ends up meeting Arthur. And doesn't she see him for the first time out the window? Yeah. Yeah. It's just a nice little like motif uh, that the passing of time runs through that section. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's it feels like there are a lot of those kinds of shots in this movie. And and as we've talked throughout this podcast, like it th- that is kind of a tropish thing to do, I guess to have this moment that so clearly recalls like, you know, the passing of time, like the dawn of something new, like movies do that all the time. But the problem isn't that movies do this thing all the time. It's that movies don't do it well or in an interesting way or present it in a new way or attach it to some energy that has been built throughout the movie that where you don't even notice that it feels cheesy and familiar. You just recognize how powerful it is. Those moments are just like constantly happening in this movie. Yeah, just throughout, start to finish. Uh, what a movie. Yeah, good stuff. Um, do you have a, an absolute favorite moment? Was it that shot? Uh, I love profile shots. I don't think they get used enough. Mm-hmm. So when they're walking down the sidewalk, uh, I think is my favorite part of the film yeah. just because yeah. it's my favorite shots. And it's such kind of a, a powerful, interesting moment. That does feel like a thing of the past. Like that's not really used much anymore. No, I, I feel like I didn't see it. Or the first time I was noticed it and realized how cool it was, was Pan's Labyrinth. Hmm. Uh, it's right after the general shoots the doctor. Spoiler to anybody who hasn't seen Pan's Labyrinth. <laughs> uh, but the doctor goes walking away and he's walking towards the camera. And then it cuts from being in that kind of uh, face-to-face perspective to the wider profile, and you just see the current or the general and his kind of soldiers on the right side of the screen, and then the doctor on the left side of the screen drops to his knees and falls down, and it feels very Renaissance painting. It's so cool to me, yeah. And you don't see it often. But it's still my favorite thing when you do get it. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I would say I have two favorite things about this movie. One, I already talked about, just like that moment Nora and Heysan first walk up to each other in New York City and mm-hmm. their energy. <laughs> I just like, I mean, um, Celine Song talked about in that, that um, interview and how going from stage to the screen that y- you really move forward with the things you know how to do and what she knew already was character was empathy was working with actors to evoke a certain feeling um and that is just so clear in this scene like their energy and the everything that exists between them like they're right next to each other yet there's just like years of things they wanted to say and like do and like directions they could have gone like you feel that in that moment that's just incredible um and then i would say my second favorite thing about this movie is um and i already told chris about this off air uh they keep saying wah you know uh woe to each other and my daughter who's now about 17 months old says woe all the time and after this movie, I noticed once in a while she does say "wah." You know, she doesn't fully say it. So <laughs> it's she always says it whenever like something loud happens. You know, if we drop something, she'll just go "wah." <laughs> it's <laughs> hilarious, and I just couldn't help but think of that the whole time. It's <laughs> adorable, but it was making me laugh. There's a lot of really funny moments in this movie, like the whole "wah" yeah. thing. But also that whole moment where she just keeps going like, he's so Korean. Like every time she said it, I just like kept laughing harder and harder. Well, and then the moment where uh, they're cuddling and it's just Arthur's like wrapped around her yeah. in a very kind of like fetal clinging on <laughs> yeah. position. It's so dumb, but one of those things you just kind of do with each other. <laughs> like I Totally. I don't know. It was it was funny. Oh, one cool detail. I don't know if this was in the the interview you read, but they actually kept uh, Teo and John away from each other behind the scenes. Oh. So the actors did not meet 
until the first scene together. That's great. So it's not like they got to do a handshake. They didn't do table readings together, nothing like that. So it would be something where Greta would go film with one of them and then go film the next day with like the other of them. Very theater thing to do. Yeah, and apparently they felt it. They each talked about how there was a little bit of jealousy. John would be like, "How how was it with you know how was it with Teo? Was he good? Oh, he was good. Okay, cool, cool." And Teo would be like, "Oh, so you were okay? You were with John yesterday? Sure, 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 sure." <laughs> um, also, small detail. Then we can get into rankings. Uh-huh. Celine Song's husband, uh, what's his name? Justin Kurtzky who you know arthur is based on it's totally like autobiographical if you're like is that how they met yes <laughs> mm. um he is a screenwriter as well because it's autobiographical like yes ever <laughs> like arthur is is justin uh he wrote the screenplay for the movie challengers that's coming out oh yeah which if people aren't aware of what that movie is, it's Zendaya being this tennis star, but she <laughs> ends up in kind of a, a thruple situation right. <laughs> with these two other uh, players, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but then ends up in a relationship with one of them, but there's still the tension with the other one. So <laughs> Celine Song's husband, I think it's his first film that he has the screenplay for. Uh, just happens to be a movie about a love triangle. Mm, getting out some feelings there. Yeah, right? It's cool to see one that's the autobiographical version of things and then one that seems just purely, like, I experienced something like this, but we're taking it, you know, as fictional as it gets. Yeah, it's like Jules and Jim. Yeah, a launching off point. All right. So, yeah, ranking. Yeah. Uh, I have this. So my rankings are up to 155. So everybody knows these are the movies we've watched since 2022. Yeah, it comes up a lot. And even though it's like in the initial paragraph on the page, I still get people being like, you've only watched 150 (laughs) movies. Like, no, (laughs) no, no. I wouldn't trust that person's opinion either. I know. I know that would be insane. Um, so I have past lives of the 155 I've watched since, and my list started like July of 2022. Yeah. Um, currently at number 12. Very good. But it might end up higher. So it's it's above The Wailing at 13 and below Bo is Afraid at 11. Yeah, I was but thinking it's here. In the, oh, it's in the colossal category. Oh, nice. Uh, I was sitting here wondering, like, if I should push it higher. I, I think I tend to be this way about like a movies new re- released and b movies I see for the first time. Like, I have trouble pushing them higher. Um, so when I say it's at seventy nine out of four hundred forty four movies, which I actually is pretty high. You know, you're in the top fifth at that point. Um, uh, I don't. That is. I don't mean to say like. I don't find it impressive like that 79 that's up there with like movies I fucking love like it's above fast and furious six like that alone should tell you how much I like it. (laughs) Um, And it's right below the exterminating angel, um, which is a movie I love. So it's, it's up there. It's, and I have it ranked number four for 2023. Nice. That's, uh, that's really good. Yeah. I, I, it's, I, you know, the further we get into 2023, like, I haven't seen a ton of movies I, like, I really love. So this one was a breath of fresh air in that way that, like, I wasn't expecting, I was expecting it to just be okay and to, to end up loving it is, was nice. Yeah, that's always, <laughs> that's always a, a wonderful thing. Uh, for 2023, I have it at number two currently, um, with Bo is Afraid at number mm-hmm. one. And then there's going to be some debates. Are we doing the next episode? We're doing what we talked about. I believe so. Bottoms. We sh- I believe so. Okay. If so I can watch it. it I'm going to be very curious to see where I end up ranking it. 
because I have it ranked currently, but I'm very uncertain about it. Are, so our conversation is going to play a role. Okay. It, are you going to go watch it again? Maybe. Okay. I don't know. It, it, it's not the kind of movie maybe you need to see twice. At least not in like a week and a half. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. I look forward to that then. I have my expectations for this movie are much higher than they were for past laps. I'll put it that way. Yeah, which could be dangerous. Yeah. You know? I, I say that as an extreme super bad fan. Yeah. <laughs> which, I mean, I've been hyping it up to everybody as like super bad meets Fight Club. Yeah, like an updated super bad. I, I guess I, in some sense, I wonder if I'll love it as much just because like super bad really was my generation and Bottoms feels very not my generation. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely made by people younger than us but there's something about it that i don't know i know there was a there was that other movie that people were comparing to super bad a few years ago book smart book smart and it just steps on book smart <laughs> yeah right uh so intensely to really like seize that crown as the true heir of super bad um, I'm just I'm gonna be very curious to see how you feel. Again, pure like each episode. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I I mean I'm pretty open to it. I I hope to have fun watching it. Yeah, I I highly encourage anybody that's listened this far into the episode, the three of you, to see Bottoms when you can. <laughs> yeah, we lost everybody when we started talking about Damien Chazelle again. <laughs> These guys need to get over it. Uh, okay, so we've reached the end here, right? Yeah. All right, we're at the end here. Um, I I think last time we tried this, there was a bit of a delay between our <laughs> voices. Um, not our fault. That was a technological problem. So I think this time we're going to get it right. All right, you okay. ready? Yes. Lights. Camera. See ya. See ya. <laughs> we kind of, we did it. We're almost there. We did it. Almost there.